And we, our message will be from the text that we have read, 2 Kings chapter 13. As you can see from your handout, um, we have the, the key verse that we're going to be concentrating on today, chapter 13, verse 21, in a message called Elisha, being dead, he still speaks. And from the old King James Version, which is in your handout, it says, and it came to pass as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Well, that's the word of the Lord, and he'll most certainly add his abundant, gracious, and magnified blessing to the reading of his holy truth. And because I'm handling the word before God's people, let us... uh, I know that Brother Larry prayed after reading that passage. Let us pray again so that I might be strengthened to feed you what the Lord would have you receive. Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for His sake, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the, for the blessed truth that is before us, for the truth that's in Second Kings, an historical uh, record, but also, Heavenly Father, full of uh, blessings that we may glean uh, to be nourished, to see Christ, and to uh, move according to, as, uh, according to what you would have in your will for sinners saved by grace. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this word. We ask you to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and make us attentive to your word. In Jesus' name and for his sake we do pray. Amen. All right, as I am... Uh, uh, as uh, the old King James was read in the hearing of your ear, and also as it's uh, in your handout, I'll be preaching from the English Standard Version today. But the historical overview of chapter 13, we see um, basically it's divided up into three parts. Jehoaz reigns in Israel, and Jehoash reigns in Israel. And then Jehoash recovers Israel's cities three times. Uh, that's how I would parse it myself, so that they all begin with J, or or the 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 Y sound in Hebrew. If I were pronouncing all their names, they would you know there's no J sound in the in the Hebrew language. But um, in verses one through nine, as we see Jehoaz reigns in Israel, and and I should put these out here for you too, uh, just as a reminder. I didn't put them in as inserts. It takes too much time since the first time I did it. But to keep the kings of Israel straight, I made this handout up. So if you didn't have one, you can get one later. Just to keep an eye on it because you know uh, there was a Joash in the southern kingdom of Judah after the split following the days of Solomon we have the northern empire of Israel in the southern kingdom of Judah and there's a Joash in Judah and there's a Joash in in Israel and they're at different times and sometimes they're both of their names are Jehoash with an H in it and and both of them are used at different times, so sometimes it's hard to keep them straight. It's hard to keep all of them straight for a while, um, even after years of reading through the passages. Many of us who have read the read through the Bible several times, it's still hard to keep them straight. And when we get the uh, when we're in the passages that we're in, uh, this is why we go over the historical overview. Uh, Jehu's son reigns wickedly. That's Jehoaz in verses 1 through 3. He's an idolater, as most of you know, that every king in the northern empire, in the northern kingdom of Israel, every one of them is wicked up until the Syrian captivity. And then as the northern kingdom is taken away um, through the uh, Syrian captivity, 
All that will be left after a while will be the kings of Judah towards the end of Second Kings. That, um, but Jehu is this, uh, Jehu's son is Jehoaz, and he reigns. And he he is he may not be an idolater because, uh, or excuse me, he may not be a Baal worshipper because Jehu was an idolater, but he wasn't a Jehu worship. Uh, he wasn't a Baal worshipper, as we'd seen in a uh, a couple messages ago. He did. He tore down the idols of Baal. But he didn't worship the Lord. He didn't worship Jehovah God. He didn't worship the God of Israel. And so that made him an idolater. He worshipped himself pretty much. And it doesn't say that he, uh, that uh, Jehoaz in Israel, uh, that he worshipped Baal, but he was an idolater nonetheless. Jeho- um, Jehoaz uh, sought God's favor, though, in verses 4 and 5. He seeks um, he, he desires God's favor, and for we read we read in the text that uh, that for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant that the Lord God had made, then he is spared, and uh, Jehoaz does not depart from his sinning in verses six through nine. He ends up being wicked. He does not depart from his sin, and he dies. And his son, the grandson of Jehu, reigns in his stead, and he reigns wickedly for, uh, in verses 10 through 11. And Jehoash, uh, it mentions that Je- Jehoash uh, defeats Amaziah, the king of Judah, in verse 12. And we'll cover this more uh, next week in chapter 14, because uh, as a reminder, the Hebrew scriptures use this thing that I call recapitulation. Like, uh, a brief summary is given, and then it'll go back and give the details. We see this in Genesis. Uh, there's the event of the creation all the way up into Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and then there's a recapitulation giving us details of the sixth day in Genesis chapter 2. And Kings, First and Second Kings, is notorious for this. And in fact, even Matthew's gospel, Matthew being a Jew, he writes in this way. He gives a, presents an event, and then in a whole chapter, he'll he'll present something that where you got to go a little bit backwards. I did this in our history lesson in Sunday school today. Uh, we we went through a part of the part of the Reformation up until uh, 1620, and then we went backwards to look at the life of uh, William Tyndale in in uh, a 14. Uh, the late 1400s to the early 1500s, the 1530s, uh, in the 1530s, when, uh, 1540s when he was executed, or 1536, excuse me. So anyway, uh, so I did that myself. And uh, sometimes you have to look at history in that way. And uh, it does this uh, here as Jehoash, a.k.a. Joash, dies in verse 13. Um so uh, he defeats Amaziah, king of Judah, um, and and second, in fact, Amaziah, king of Judah. I'll just bring this up: Second Chronicles fifteen, verse two, where it says that um, uh, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, but chapter Second Chronicles fifteen, verse two says, "Yet not with a whole heart," because later on he actually commits idolatry. Um, now, in the third portion, this is that recapitulation. Um, Jehoash recovers Israel's cities three times. Um, it already mentioned in the first portion, uh, first two portions, that Elijah, uh, Elisha had died. 
And see, I get them confused too. Sometimes people get confused. Elijah, Elisha. Sometimes you say Elijah when you mean Elisha because he sounds so much, so very similar. When you read them in writing, the J comes before the SH, so you know that one is before the other. Elijah is before Elisha. In Hebrew, it's a little bit easier because the names sound completely different. Eliyahu is Elijah and, and uh, Elisha is the second one, Elisha. Well, he'd already died, but here we give, get some of the details in the rest of chapter 13. Um, the uh, Joash weeps before uh, a sick Elisha. Uh, Elisha is sick. And, and notice that in verse 14, he cries out, the, the king of Israel, uh, Jehoash, he cries out the same words that Elisha used in Second Kings when Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and the uh, chariots of fire uh, came by, you know, where he says, um, my father, my father, I got to find it here. And he reads it and from the... Uh, from the English Standard Version, it says, verse 14, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he, uh, which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. That's exactly what Elisha cried out when Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and, ascent, and went into heaven. And so uh, he uses those same words of sick Elisha. Uh, possibly even because it was so well known that it was passed down that even by this time that when Elisha is dying, he's crying out so that he might receive an anointing as Elisha had received the double portion from Elijah's uh, uh, being taken up. But Joash is told to shoot and strike because of the enemy of, uh, of Hazael, the Syrian, the king of Syria, in verses 15 to 19. And you, you can't get it completely uh, from the Scripture itself. You actually have to somewhat imply what's going on here. He's probably given a quiver of seven arrows. And he shoots out saying, he says, okay, take your arrow and shoot out so that you will defeat the king of, king of Syria. Now, from the quiver, strike upon the ground these arrows. And he does so, probably to appease, and some of the commentators say, probably just appease, appease Elisha. He thinks it's a silly thing. He shoots out the window at nothing, and then now he's supposed to take these arrows and bang them on the ground. So he takes it three times. Boom, boom, boom. But there's still arrows left in the quiver, and we suggest that there were probably seven arrows in the quiver altogether. He used one to shoot out, and that there's six of them. He says, why didn't you do five or six times? There's still arrows in the, you know, we, it's implied that there's arrows still in the quiver. That way that they would utterly be destroyed. But he had no faith. Elijah, the prophet, knows he had no faith. He was just doing it because, ah, okay, I'll be obedient. And that's a lesson for us. Sometimes we're obedient to the word, but there's no heart. We, we, we're not faithful to God. We're not doing this because God says so. And because doing so is a blessing to God and it's a joy to us to be able to do something that God has told us to do. He just says, okay, I'll be obedient. I'll go ahead and do it. And so it shows, a well, he did it. He was obedient. But there was nothing of heart there. And there will be many in that day that will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we uh, cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you, is what Jesus will say to them.
So yeah, with that lesson there, we uh, then Elisha is being Jehovah's prophet. He dies, and um, verses twenty to twenty-one, which verse twenty-one is our is our theme text. But I want to read it here from the from the scripture in verse twenty. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year, and as a man was being buried, behold. A marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Um, well, he, it wasn't just, they, they weren't dry bones like we see in Ezekiel, <laughs> because the, the, the Haziel was still the, was still the Syrian king at this particular point. So, uh, uh, there was still probably, you know, decayed flesh upon his, upon his bones, but it was the dead body of Elisha. So he's been there for at least some time. It's, uh, at least past four days. By this time he stinketh, as we see in John chapter 11, uh, with, uh, Lazarus. Lord, don't, don't, <laughs> don't open up the tomb. By this time he stinketh. But, uh, he's put in a sepulcher and apparently it's, uh, it was convenient and they tossed the man in and he gets up. We don't see this anywhere else in the Bible. This is just an amazing miracle. And uh, how could I not preach on this? This is just crazy if I don't preach on this, because to me it, it speaks volumes. But there are many commentators, even Spurgeon didn't preach on this uh, on this particular verse, on this particular incident. He may have commented on it, oh, we, we don't see this anywhere else. But man, this is this is so miraculous, we don't want to talk on it. But I'm not smart enough for that. So I, I'm, I'm, I see some things here, and it, and it's wonderful. But uh, before the, before we get to that, verses 22 to 25, Joash defeats Hazael three times according to that, and, and he does defeat him three times. But as we know, the Syrian Empire does take over, and and that is God's plan to to pull them out of the way and deal specifically with Judah. Now here are our holy implications and helpful applications. One of the things that we'll consider here is that the subtitle comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It says, and, uh, and through the second part of Hebrews 11, verse 4, our, our subtitle, remember, is being dead, he still speaks. And, and Hebrews 11, 4, the second part of it says, and, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, while the context of the verse in Hebrews 11 is speaking of Abel, the blood of righteous Abel who gave a sacrifice by faith, whereas Cain did not give a sacrifice in faith. And, uh, and Abel, uh, the, he was killed by his brother Cain. And through faith, uh, it says that through his death he still speaks. But I suggest to you that though the context does speak of Abel's faith, it is applicable to Elisha in this particular case. First, we look at his death and his burial. Uh, we see first the most pious soul cannot escape death's sting. You know, a, a more holy man in Israel did not exist in this in this northern kingdom than Elisha at this particular point in time. Elisha was the was the man of that we read throughout from Second Kings chapter two that we read throughout who is blessed of the Lord, who's anointed of the Lord, and um, and he is. Holy. He is the, the, the man that is prominent within these scriptures, but we know that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, Paul tells us the sting of death is sin. 
And that though he is so holy, Elisha is so holy, he has a double portion of Elijah's anointing, that he's still a sinner. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 uh, tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, every death that we see in the scriptures, but every death that we see around us, everyone that dies is a, it reminds the Christian that there is no escape apart from the grace of God that is in Jesus Christ and found in him alone. So when we see this, we're right to mourn a death. Uh, Leviticus, even in the Old Testament, tells us that we are given, uh, that, that we're given a space in order to grieve death. Now, to the Christian, we recognize the eternal truth of our lives, that, that though we are dead, we, we, we still live. We live eternally. But we should recognize the truth of what death is and what it brings. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 says of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he won victory, and he says that it's finished on the cross, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. People still die right now. People still get sick. We know that the corruptions of our flesh still remain. The second point of uh, this death and burial of Elisha that we could take from this is the miraculous end for a humble servant. He's known as Elisha. Uh, Elisha is known as Elijah's servant. You know, Second Kings chapter three and verse twelve. He's called Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. He's known as the servant of Elijah, the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. He's not called necessarily even then. He wasn't called the prophet himself. He's called the servant of the prophet. Elijah. In fact, even in New Testament thinking, we see this in the Gospels among the Jews, that Elijah is the guy. Elijah is the one who precedes the coming of the Lord. And so Elisha kind of takes second place, but that is the role of a servant. And that Jesus came humble as a servant. And, and, and because he received the double portion of Elijah's spirit, he did two times more recorded miracles in the Old Testament here in, in Kings. He did two times more miracles than Elijah did. But Elijah, um, that, that, or at least was recorded that Elijah did, maybe he did more miracles, but the recorded miracles, it's twice as many for Elisha than it is Elijah. The uh, commentator George Barlow minister who had written many commentaries, First and Second Kings. He written commentaries on Psalms, Lamentations, Ezekiel, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and First and Second Thessalonians. His uh, uh, spelling of his name is B-A-R-L-O-W, George Barlow. Um, his, uh, as far as for his commentaries, he says this, quote, This miracle of Elisha's after his death, is more surprising than any of those which he performed during his lifetime. No exact parallel offers itself in the rest of Scripture, end quote. And it is true concerning this, but I beg to differ. Because there is a greater miracle that took place in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and all those who have been saved by grace through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. That is unparalleled even to this and that's what it reflects 
Whereas I give you a third point under the death and burial of, uh, of Elisha, more significant does Elisha speak in the following, the death and blessing of Jesus Christ. First, there is a far greater than Elisha's here. Remember that Jesus said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, uh, when he said, he said that the queen of the south, or the queen of Sheba, will rise up, of the, uh, rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for, condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Remember, everything, everything in Scripture is designed to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in John chapter 5 and verse 39, which many of you are probably tired of hearing me quote, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. And this is what the whole Bible is about. It's the point to the Lord Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. Because we are called, that's the reason we gather to worship. We gather to worship the Father through the exaltation of the Christ. And since Christ has come, the Father receives No glory greater than Jesus Christ being exalted in our lives, being exalted in our preaching, being exalted in our fellowship, being exalted in our prayers. He is the reason why all of it exists, the creation of the world. The creation of the world was to bring Christ forth, not, and and it was ordained to proclaim Him. Everything was ordained to proclaim Him. Marriage, parents, family, children. Plants and animals, everything was made by him, Hebrews 1 tells us, and for him, and through him. And so the faithful anointing that comes in Christ's death, as 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what is the word of the cross? It's that which I give you every single week. But if you're a child of God, you shouldn't be tired of this. To hear that God became a man in a most miraculous thing, that a virgin is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and that having untainted blood, being born as flesh and bone man, that he is truly the Son of God, but he's fully God and fully man. And he walked a sinless sinless, blameless, perfect life. And walking that sinless, blameless, and perfect life, He went to the cross bearing our sins as if He committed them Himself. He was silent before His accusers because He was taking our sin on to Himself. He was silent, never once saying, those sins aren't mine. He hung upon a cross and suffered God's wrath. And so from noon until three, when there was darkness upon the land, when he, before, beforehand, when he was beaten mercilessly to where he was unrecognizable as a human, at his weakest point physically, he suffered God's wrath mercilessly for sins that you committed and I committed so that in trusting in his death, And then he died physically. He was truly a man because he died in being buried for three days and three nights in that body that he was born with. And then rising again shows the truth of his humanity, but it also shows the proof that he is deity and that that it was true what he said, that he was God several times in the Gospels when 
That's why the Jews wanted to stone him, because he made himself to be God, because he was God. The rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, with the promise of coming again. Mere man, mortal man, sinful man, unless God awakens us to this truth, isn't going to believe it. They'll hear this every single week, like I preach it every single week. And they won't believe it unless the Spirit of God moves us to say, oh, this is true. Oh, this is humbling. That God would do such a thing to save such someone like me. Someone like you. People like us. And then have us get together to love one another in such a way. And even, even as Brother Mike said, uh, we, we have a pastor that, uh, what was that term that you used, brother? How I tend to joke. Uh, to be a little bit lighthearted at times, whereas I, you know, scolding you at the announcements because I said something innocently concerning my wife, but when I th- thought about your, your, your objection to it, I thought, oh yeah, I guess it could be taken that way. I say stupid stuff sometimes, but because I say stupid things that from the pulpit that when I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is so powerful, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit and ministers unto you the truth that what a great thing, what a gracious thing, that God became a man and lived the life, the righteous life that you and I can't, so that we may live with him forever. Because that's what heaven is. It's not a lot of things that a lot of people think it is. It's being with God, whom we were separated from because of our sin. We'll be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And everything will be what it should be. That when we look at one another in fellowship, we do see Christ and we see the, the glories of Christ and the salvation that has made you immortal and incorruptible because by grace we have believed through faith. Wow. This faithful anointing in this gospel, it presents unto us this truth that for those that are not saved, for you, some of you young people have not made a yet, have not yet made a confession of, of faith. That falling on the death of Christ, just as this man that we see that was placed in the tomb of Elisha and, and fallen upon his dead body, upon his bones, and that he came to life, that that life is ours as well. Amen. Falling upon him. That Jesus said to the Jews opposing him, he says, have you never read in the Scriptures? In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42, he says, have you never read in the Scriptures? That the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then he went on to say, two verses later in verse 44, he says, And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And he brought about two truths concerning this as far as the stone. This one who was dead and rose again, in believing on him, He is the chief cornerstone and that we will be broken in pieces. Verse 44 will be broken in pieces means we'll be humbled. David wrote in the psalm, he said in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, to those who are humbled. And in fact, he amplifies it and he says, and he saves the crushed in spirit, or that's the English Standard Version, but in the old King James Version, he says contrite in spirit. Again, humbled that we're humbled by this truth. If we fall upon him, as the dead man was tossed in and falls upon the body of Elisha, when we 
fall upon the cornerstone, this Christ who was crucified, it'll humble us. It'll break us. It'll break our hearts that, it, that our sin is so heinous before God that it took nothing less than God to become a man. And it breaks our heart and it humbles us that God would have to go through such things in order to save a wretch like me. Wretches like you. Ephesians 2 and verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Jesus made us alive together with Christ, or God made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. It's by God's grace that nothing you could do can achieve this, because everything Christ has done in order to do it, in order to make it possible, and that even wakens us to that truth, and then empowers us by that truth, so that we can say yes to His gospel and say yes to Christ and believe on Him. Otherwise, we would, as we mentioned in Sunday school today, we would do just like Adam when we disobeyed God and we would hide in the trees after making aprons of figs. Fig leaves. Aprons of fig leaves. It wasn't as delicious as the figs. Aprons of fig leaves, covering, and, and I, I've mentioned this before. Have you ever thought about that in the garden? If, do you know what a fig, as far as a fig tree, you know one side of it, if you press it to your skin, is itchy, <laughs> uncomfortable? I'm wondering which side they use. Oh, look, let's use the fuzzy side. <laughs> where are, and when you, God's walking in the cool of the day, where are you? <laughs> Here. <laughs> And that's why he said, where are you? That's why he said, because that's God's efficacious grace, to use a theological term. He awakens Adam to the fact that he's hiding from him. He's not running to, oh, I sinned. We won't do that unless God calls out, where are you? So here's our devotional application for Christ's people. Remember Hebrews 11.4, and and through faith, though he died, he still speaks. While the context of this verse speaks of Abel's faith, And it also speaks of Elisha. It all speaks unto you and I who are saved by God's grace. It's a powerful work as we see a reflection of Elisha's illustration. And it shows us that we must have power beyond ourselves to walk a Christian life. To believe in the first place, but I already covered that with, you know, falling, um, with Jesus saying, if we fall upon this stone, upon his, the truth of his dead body that it will humble us and that we'll receive that truth. But to walk a Christian life, what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 we had a few weeks ago that we looked at? If any man, Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself daily. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And I'm not going to cover that. In fact, it was just last week that I mentioned uh, that a little bit more at length. But how can you do that? You can't do that except it be a power from outside of yourself. It's not like Elisha willed this man to be alive as a prophet. He was dead. And that's what we do. We die to self so that the work of Christ may live in us. And that we may be empowered with that. And then therefore, I can't take the credit for it. Lord, I've died to self. And it's not me that's doing it, but Christ lives in me. Which is what Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20, right? 
He says, I am, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How could you live a life like that? You can't. How can I? I can't. I have to do it in a power outside of myself. A miracle beyond the miracle, greater than even that which happened in Elisha. Dead in the tomb. And a, and the dead bones were so anointed that a man sprung to life. It must come from a power greater than ourselves. And it becomes a greater work. John the Baptist even said this, he must increase, I must decrease, he says in John chapter 3 and verse 30. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. You see, Elisha's work was was, um, to a greater extent Greater than it was uh, to some extent greater than Elisha's because it was he had a double portion, he did twice as many miracles, but his character was more minimalized. Elisha, Elijah was this great character who called fire down from heaven and slew the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Ashtaroth. But Elisha was well, the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. But it was greater in this way in that he had the school of the prophets. You know, and also there were more people. He had servants that were with him. There were the prophets. And we heard about the school of the prophets earlier in 2 Kings. Whereas Elijah said in 1 Kings 19 and verse 10, I, even I alone, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And God helps them to understand that there were a hundred prophets still, that they're hidden in caves and so forth, but, and that there are 7,000 that haven't bent the knee to Baal in the northern kingdom. So this idea of lost tribes is ridiculous. There are people that still worship the Lord in the northern kingdom. But Elijah, really, he was all alone. His statement was true because it was a reflection of Jesus Christ who alone saves us. But Jesus said that greater works will we do. How so? That through working his kingdom through this local church and every local church in which is his, he's the head of the church universal, but every local church he's the head of as well. And through the many members of this church and through, you know, we are his arms and legs, so to speak, upon earth and greater things. And also this, and I've mentioned this before, many of you, already know this. Well, see, when Jesus raised the dead, when Jesus did miracles, when Jesus just walked a righteous life and preached of a blessed gospel, you say, well, this is the Son of God, sure. But when you do so, even with the corruptions of flesh that still remain, that you've been saved by God's grace, and now when you walk in a holy life and in a righteous life, a greater work is being done so that when you share the gospel with someone in, a, in an everyday witness, well, that's a miracle. Far greater than God. And God became a man and did it. We expect that. But here's this miracle. Every one of us have shared the gospel in some way, shape, or form. We've, we've witnessed, oh, Jesus did this. Even right after I was saved, I remember, oh, something's different about you because Jesus saved me. Ah, oh, that's not it. But something's different about you. 
I got to say, well, that's because of Jesus. Jesus saved me. Simple as that. And having to, the, the ability and even the privilege to utter the name of Jesus that quick after my salvation, just hours after my salvation, to say, Jesus, yeah, Jesus saved me. What a privilege, but what a great miracle that these lips that had profanity just that weekend, every other word, I was a Navy diver, remember, and every other word was that colorful expletive. And now saying that he took it away so that I didn't even know it was taken away. All that profanity, and now I have the name of Jesus upon my lips and upon my tongue. What a miracle. It's a greater, a greater work. Jesus multiplies his work through his church, which is unsurpassed until he comes. What a great work he's doing in you, in me, in us, through us. And finally, it's an eternal. And I'm going to actually ask you to turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 19. Last book of the Bible, Revelation 19, verses 9 and 10. And recognize that it's an eternal work. By Elisha being dead, yet still speaks, but also the reflection of this is bone, as his bones bring to life one also who is dead. It reflects the truth of an eternal work. It reflects the truth of eternal work. Because all of this spoke of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 and verses 9 and 10 have a blessed truth here. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, say oh, amen. I'll wait for you. I still hear some leaves turning. Revelation 19 and verse 9, it says, And the angel said to me, And we'll find out that this angel, which is angelos in the Greek, which means literally messenger or good messenger, one who brings good tidings. So it may not be the angel that we're thinking of, and in fact it's not. He has left the time frame and gone into eternity in order to see this, this glorified man, a brother. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And in verse 10, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am, the, I am a fellow servant and your, and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, in the English Standard Version, it, it ends the quote at worship God, and then we suggest, the English Standard Version translators suggest that the last part of the quote isn't from this angel or isn't from this messenger. Um, the Old King James Version doesn't put it that way because it doesn't have quotes. It says this in the Old King James Version, um, right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See, thou do it not. Am, uh, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren and that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Sounds like he's still talking in the old King James Version, which is actually how I um, consider it myself, but I could be wrong. But what I want to bring your attention to is that everyone in heaven is, is worshiping God through the truth of the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. 
Remember, everything speaks of Jesus. He is to be exalted. And as Elisha speaks of Jesus, we recognize that even our lives is an eternal work that though we die, Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember that he tells uh, that he tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, that though a man die, yet will he live if he believes in me. And that's the truth of it, that, that your life doesn't end with your physical death, that it is an eternal work that Christ is doing, and that your legacy brings about the truth of who he is and what he has done. And in the end, in that day, for all those who have trusted in him by grace through faith, will be an eternal testimony in heaven that even when the angels look at you and they see you, they will see Christ and exalt Christ for who he has made you to be. And you will carry that testimony. You'll be branded with it, spiritually speaking, for all eternity. That is the work that Christ is doing in us. That if we exalt Christ in it, through it, and by it, that that will be the blessed uh, reward for us in heaven that we have been able to be used to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Let's pray. Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for His sake, we thank You, Lord, for the blessed truth You have brought before us. We pray that as our worship in the Word has been um, gloriously exalting to the, uh, Jesus Christ and gloriously Uh, glorifying to you, Heavenly Father. We pray that we may carry this with us, that we can apply these truths to our lives, that day by day we may trust in Christ and give our lives over to surrender to him for your glory. In Jesus' name and for his sake we do pray. Amen.